good afternoon, listeners. There's the fanfare for the common man, and uh, you're listening to the Dogs Program, the Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools, and we're here every Saturday at 12 noon. Here we are on 3CR Community Radio with our public education program. Yes, we're here to defend and to promote public education, and that's education that's public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it's public in access. It should be public in ownership and control, and it should also be the only one that is publicly funded. But we know that that is not the case, and um, uh, there's always problems about funding. Yes, well, the Labor government in Canberra are very good at dividing and ruling. Well, that's what politicians and people in power do, of course. So um, there's been some fun and games in the last week, and we've done a press release, 1008, about it, which you will find on our website at www.adogs.info. And, um, you know, we know that the private sector are continuing to laugh all the way to the bank, to the bank even with Mr Albanese, because, unfortunately, our politicians are just too timid to take on the private sector. But... Um, we have our own view, of course. The only way forward, we think, is to acknowledge the mistakes created by the state-owned experiment for the last 60 years and to take over the private schools which are overfunded. But um, here we are. I'll, I'll let Andy tell you all about that and all about what's been going on in the press this week. Over to you, Andy. Thanks, Jean. And here is Press Release 1008 for the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools, Funding for public schools, timid Labor politicians divide and rule. The private sector continues to laugh all the way to the bank and back again to their overfunded, over-resourced schools, which produce undereducated but over-entitled students. Yet many official and unofficial reports on funding later, the timid Albanese government is using a divide-and-rule tactic between state governments to minimise, if possible, funding for public schools. The so-called funding wars have diverted attention from the public versus private debate into a state-by-state versus Commonwealth debate. On the 31st of January, the education writers from The Age, Sharon Grosh and Robin Grace, wrote, West Australia's public schools will get an additional $777 million in Commonwealth funding over the next five years in a deal announced Wednesday, raising the long-standing federal share of money from 20% to 22.5% by 2026. But Queensland, New South Wales and Victoria are among states doubling down on calls for the Commonwealth to lift its share even higher to 25%. This masthead can reveal that education ministers from Victoria, New South Wales, South Australia, Queensland, Tasmania and the ACT have written to the Federal Education Minister Jason Clare rejecting a proposed 2.5 percentage point increase. The states provide the lion's share of public funding schooling in Australia, 80% to the Commonwealth's 20% under current agreements. But all jurisdictions, except the ACT, are still falling billions of dollars short every year of minimum resourcing standards, known as the schooling resource standard, that were agreed under the Gonski reforms a decade ago to fund schools according to need. The ABC reported on the issue, noting that the federal government had agreed to boost its share by 2.5% to Western Australia, but this was rejected by the other states. The Guardian took up the issue with Caitlin Cassidy using the figures produced by Trevor Cobbold from Save Our Schools, and the New South Wales Teachers Federation supported their Premier Chris Minns and Education Minister Prue Carr to secure full funding for New South Wales public schools from the Commonwealth Government. But perhaps the last word on this should be given to Trevor Cobbold himself from Save Our Schools. 
West Australian School Funding Agreement Defrauds Public Schools. Uh, Trevor Cobbold, February the 3rd, 2024. The new school funding agreement between the Albanese and Western Australian governments is a significant step forward for the funding of public schools. It has several positives, but the claim that West Australian public schools will be fully funded by 2026 is simply untrue. Public schools will be underfunded by about $1.6 billion over the next five years. There are some strong positives in the agreement. The Albanese government has broken with the arbitrary limit placed on Commonwealth funding of public schools by the Turnbull government. The Commonwealth is no longer restricted to funding only 20% of the schooling resource standard, SRS, of public schools and has agreed to put in an extra 2.5% in this agreement. Another positive is that the West Australian government has agreed to start clawing back the cuts it made to funding its share of public schools over the past five years. It cut its funding share from 84.4% of their SRS in 2018 to 75% in 2024. Its share will now increase by 2.5% by 2026, but this is still far short of what it was in 2018. The two governments claim these increases will ensure that public schools will be fully funded at 100% of their SRS by 2026. This is a deliberate misrepresentation. Accounting tricks in the previous funding agreement struck by the states with the Morrison government defraud public schools, but are retained in the new agreement. The accounting tricks allow the WA government to claim non-school expenditures as part of its SRS funding share for public schools. The WA government can claim expenditures on school transport, capital depreciation and preschools up to 4% of its SRS share. On top of this, it can also claim expenditure on the school curriculum and standards authority and other regulatory functions as part of its SRS share. All these expenditures are specifically excluded from how the SRS is officially measured. In opposition, Federal Labor promised to end these accounting tricks. As Shadow Minister for Education, Tanya Plibersek promised that a Labor government would end the accounting tricks that allowed the states to artificially boost their funding share of the SRS of public schools. Now in government, Labor has broken its promise. Labor's Minister for Education, Jason Clare, has avoided reaffirming this promise, and now we know why. The West Australian Minister for Education's only justification for prolonging the fraud is that every other state does it. This fraud was conjured up between the Morrison government and the states in the last agreement. The Morrison government disowned any responsibility for public schools and state treasury departments opportunistically took advantage of the neglect to restrict funding for public schools. These accounting tricks mean that the current funding share of the WA government is actually only 70.6%, not 75%. The new agreement will only get its funding share to 73.1% over the next five years, substantially less than it was in 2018. Overall, with Commonwealth funding, WA public schools will only be funded to 95.6% of their SRS by 2026, not 100%. The cumulative underfunding over five years will be about $1.6 billion. The WA agreement will be taken by the other states as a benchmark for their own negotiation with the Albanese government. The failure of the Federal Minister for Education to implement the promise of his predecessor in opposition means that the defrauding of public schools will now be set in stone for another five years. It means public schools will have been defrauded by billions over ten years. Other states are now demanding that the Commonwealth increase its funding share to 25%. There is a case for a greater role for the Commonwealth in funding public schools. 
While the states have primary constitutional responsibility for education, the national government has a responsibility to ensure that the rights of all citizens to a quality education are upheld. It has a responsibility to ensure that all children, whatever their background and wherever they live, receive an education adequate to prepare them for full participation in the community as citizens. The Gonskiba report emphasised the joint responsibilities of the Commonwealth and the states to ensure that all children receive a quality education and to improve equity across the nation means that the funding shares have to be negotiated, hopefully in good faith, rather than in a cynical game of pass the parcel. The future of public education is at stake in the negotiations of the bilateral funding agreements. The states must stop shirking their responsibilities to public schools as they have for at least the last five years. The states must disavow the fraud they have perpetrated on public schools. If they want the Commonwealth to put in an extra 5%, they must end the 4% plus rort. And now some dog's comment. The Albanese government is more than halfway through its term in office. The education funding issue is a running cancerous sore on our Australian democratic taxation and education system. The figures have long spoken for themselves, with years of coalition policies favouring a divisive, inefficient private sector and underfunding of disadvantaged public schools. Yet the Labor government appears frozen, almost unable to move an inch through the fear of offending strong religious right-wing lobby groups. They appear powerless to even ameliorate the situation in which Australia is falling well behind the rest of the OECD countries in educational achievement. The only way forward is to acknowledge the mistakes created by the state aid experiment, take over the private schools which are overfunded, (laughs) we pay for them anyway, and make them public schools. Back to you, Jean. Well, many thanks, Andy. Yes, the uh, funding wars have been diverted from the public-private debate into a state versus state Commonwealth debate, but uh, it's a very old one indeed. But as we all know, the uh, Commonwealth Government has about 85% of the tax take and the state governments only have about 15%. So guess uh, who has the, uh, uh, which Piper is calling the tune. But um, we'll have a bit of a break and uh, you can have now, I think, Dale, a very interesting subscriber month card. 3CR is radical radio, and that means more than just alternative current affairs and political coverage. We're radical because we're an independent media outlet, owned and operated by the community. We're radical because we give communities the control of their own shows, with their own music, in their own languages. We're radical because we provide a media platform for communities to build their own power to create social change. Become a subscriber and support Radical Radio. Call us on 03 9419 8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward subscribe. It's all about a voice in our own country. We've got a reason for screaming out, where's our voice in this country? You know, not that I want to be a part of the Constitution for that, you know. That's why 3CR is so important to, to me and this community here. We've got a voice, but it's not, you know, we're entitled to a bigger voice than what we've got, but it's all about having a voice. Subscribe to 3CR, fiercely independent and community controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 8377.
Yes, well, it's subscribe a month, all right, and 3CR doesn't run on air, although it does run on air, uh, but it's very expensive air sometimes when uh, it's uh, through radio. But um, let's um, go to an ABC report, which thanks, Andy, for uh, telling us about it, and it's uh, referred to in our press release, and Sorrel's going to read it for us, a battle's brewing over public school funding. Over to you, Sorrel. Thanks, Jean. So this article is by Evan Young, who is updating us on the battle brewing over public school funding, what's happening and what could come next. The level of funding for public schools has been a point of contention for a long time. Academic results have been falling, inequality entrenching and teacher shortages growing. Then on Wednesday, it was announced the federal government had reached an in-principle agreement with Western Australia, which they said would see the state's public schools fully funded by 2026. It was quickly rejected by other states and territories, which want the Commonwealth to double its offer, setting up a political showdown. Here is what's going on and what could happen next. So why is this significant? Firstly, some background. The Commonwealth has been negotiating a new school funding agreement with the states and territories, and the WA agreement was the first of eight that need to be struck by the end of the year. But it's also worth flagging what fully funded means. In this context, it's the amount set out by the Schooling Resource Standard, the SRS, which is an estimate of how much funding a school needs to meet student needs. It was recommended by the Gonski Review more than a decade ago. The coalition's Gonski 2.0 reforms required states to fund public schools at 75% of the SRS on top of the federal government's 20%, leaving a 5% gap. Glenn Savage, an associate professor in education policy at the University of Melbourne, says it's important to understand that SRS itself doesn't fund the schools directly. All the money basically glows into a blender and then is redistributed to schools using a state-based model, he says. Mr Savage also says it's not just about how much funding a state has, it's also about what they do with it. We need to be really careful that the money is being targeted towards things likely to make a positive difference, and that the money is being targeted to those who need it the most, he says. So what's in the Western Australia Agreement? The Commonwealth has committed to boosting its share of public school funding in WA from 20% of the SRS to 22.5%. In financial terms, it's an extra 774, sorry, it's an extra 777.4 million over 5 years. That's been agreed on the condition that WA lifts its own spending on public schools by at least an equivalent amount. The funding has also been tied to reforms aimed at making sure teachers are given more resources and kids falling behind get targeted support. There's also a no worse off guarantee. That means if other jurisdictions negotiate a better deal with the Commonwealth, WA will also receive that. Federal Education Minister Jason Clare hailed the landmark moment on Wednesday and reiterated his intent to strike an agreement like this with every state and every territory across the country. So who's saying what? Other states and territories quickly rejected the proposed WA deal. They want the Fed's SRS contribution doubled to 25% in their jurisdictions to guarantee 
the 5% funding gap that we mentioned earlier is covered. The ABC reached out to state and territory education ministers to get their thoughts. Here's what they had to say. From New South Wales, Public schools have not been funded to the levels agreed upon when the Gonski funding deals were struck more than a decade ago, State Minister Prukar said. State governments are facing unprecedented pressure to continue to provide world-class services to a growing population, and as the largest state in the Commonwealth, New South Wales is no different. Our government has committed to reach 75% of the SRS by 2025. That's two years earlier than the previous government's target. It remains our view, and the view of most other states, that the Commonwealth provide the remaining 5% to help fund our schools at an appropriate level in the future. Queensland. We believe that the Commonwealth should fund 25% of the SRS to help fund schools at an appropriate level into the future, State Minister DeFarma said. Queensland schools and teachers provide some of the most geographically dispersed and remote learning anywhere in Australia. We will continue to collaborate on the policy and funding arrangements under the new National Schools Agreement from 2025, but we will always fight for Queensland's fair share so that our kids can have the best start in life. We need our fair share so that school students can grow, learn and thrive no matter where they live. South Australia All government schools in South Australia deserve to be fully and fairly funded. For too long, this hasn't been the case, and we must fix that, State Minister Blair Boyer said. I have written to the Federal Minister for Education seeking the Commonwealth increase its funding share to 25%, addressing the current funding gap public schools face. I have also raised the importance of school infrastructure funding in the next agreement. Too many schools are in need of upgrades to give students the learning environments they deserve. Tasmania. The Tasmanian government is calling on the federal government to increase its contribution of the SRS by 5% to ensure Tasmanian public schools are funded to 100% of the allocation recommended by the Gonski Review, State Minister Roger Jench said. The Tasmanian government is committed to working collaboratively with the Australian government and in conjunction with other states and territories through 2024 towards the shared goal of providing a quality, equitable education for all students. ACT. The ACT government fully funds public schools at or above 100% of the SRS, an ACT government spokesperson said. The ACT government appreciates the collaborative intent of the federal government in offering to lift its contribution to 22.5% of the SRS. The ACT has joined other jurisdictions in asking the Commonwealth to increase their contribution to 25% of the SRS for public schools. The ACT government will not reduce its share of SRS funding for public schools. Northern Territory I met with Minister Clare only two weeks ago expressing the Territory Government's commitment to ensuring all students are fully funded right across the Northern Territory, Territory Minister Mark Monaghan said. Minister Clare reinforced his understanding that our children have the highest level of need and disadvantage in the country and it must be addressed. Currently, the Lawler and Albanese governments are progressing discussions on a new deal which will bring all of our schools, 70.2% of which are classed as remote or extremely remote, to full funding. The Territory is the most expensive jurisdiction to to deliver education by far due to our vast geographical challenges. 
However, we are focused on providing quality education to students no matter where they live. A response from Victoria was not received by the deadline. The Australian Education Union also wants to see the Commonwealth lift its share of the SRS to 25% for the states and 40% to the Northern Territory. The federal opposition, however, has called on Mr Clare to get the states to chip in more. So, what happens now? Negotiations are continuing. Mr Savage says now, the starting gun has been fired. He expects significant contestations over the coming year. He says Commonwealth agreements with other jurisdictions may be harder to reach than with WA, as it has been much closer to fully funding its public schools compared to other jurisdictions. When other jurisdictions or states will be able or want to match any extra contributions like WA remains to be seen as well. People shouldn't get ahead of themselves with what's being planned in WA. There is a lot of water that needs to go under the bridge, he says. What else do you need to know? This all comes hot on the tail of an expert-led review into schooling resourcing released in December. It made for a sobering read. High school completion rates in public schools have fallen from 83% to 76% in six years. More than one in three students hadn't been meeting the NAPLAN literacy and numeracy proficiency standards, while school attendance and high school graduations have also been declining, the report said. Almost all public schools had not been funded to the SRS, the review found. That compared to non-government schools being funded, on average, at or above their full government funding level. Among other things, the review recommended fully funding all public schools to the SRS for students to be regularly screened to see if they need additional support and for teachers to be given more targeted support and mentoring. Back over to you, Jean. Well, thank you very much, Sarah, and we'll have a bit of a break and we'll come back to find out what they're doing up in New South Wales about all of this funding problem. needs members to survive. By becoming a subscriber, you're helping us to remain fiercely independent and free of commercials and corporate influence. Are you a paid-up subscriber? It's just $40 concession, $80 waged, $150 for a band or organisation, and $300 solidarity. Great value for 24-7 community-owned and community-controlled media. Please become a subscriber member today. Call the station on 03-9419-8377 or sign up online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855am digital and 3cr.org.au. Well, uh, 
thank you very much. And we're back in with 3CR and the Dogs Program. We hope you're still with us because we're off to New South Wales and the New South Wales Teachers Federation. They've had a change of uh, president up there and we're very grateful for all the work that Angela Gabrielatis has done. But the new guide seems pretty good too because um, they're very determined that uh, the New South Wales government uh, should stay firm in wanting a lot more money out of Canberra for their schools. So Andy's going to tell us about this one. Over to you, Andy. Teachers back Mins and Car in fight for education funding. New South Wales teachers have endorsed the strong determination of Premier Chris Minns and Education Minister Prue Carr to secure full funding for New South Wales public schools from the Commonwealth Government. Under a Morrison-era agreement, New South Wales public schools receive only 89% of the Schooling Resource Standard, SRS, the level of funding needed to properly attend to the learning needs of all students. This equates to a $1.9 billion shortfall. The Albanese government's proposed state-federal funding agreement rejected by New South Wales and other states still falls billions short of the needs-based funding target devised under the Gonski reforms of 2012. At a press conference in Queen Bian this morning, Premier Min said, We need the Commonwealth Government to up their contributions to public school funding. When it comes to agreements between the state and the Commonwealth, the full Gonski amount from the Commonwealth Government needs to be supplied, and the reason for that is they have deeper pockets. New South Wales Teachers Federation President Henry Rajendra agreed that the Commonwealth had the financial firepower to fully fund public schools. It is simply unconscionable that children in public schools are missing out, while private schools, which receive substantial public funding, splurge on unnecessary vanity projects such as equestrian centres and Olympic pools. Premier Minns and Minister Carr are taking a strong stand for public education. We applaud them for doing so and urge them to maintain the pressure. But now it's time for the Prime Minister to step up. The Prime Minister must also remove the funding loophole created by the Morrison government that further short-changed New South Wales children. The loophole allows the artificial inflation of the SRS by including costs not directly related to the learning needs of students, such as de capital depreciation and regulatory costs. In New South Wales public schools in 2023, this equated to $640 million being diverted away from public student learning in order to inflate the state's overall SRS share. Plugging this hole would be transformative. Increased recurrent funding and expanded permanent staffing would mean smaller class sizes, allowing more one-on-one -on -one time for students with complex needs. Instead of viewing this as a cost to the budget, it must be seen as an investment in our kids. Giving all children the start they deserve will allow them to make the most of their potential and contribute to their community and the nation. Indeed, that would very much be the case. And back to you, Jean. Oh, well, thank you very much, Andy. Uh, let's go over to America uh, for a little while. School choice is a lie and private school vouchers don't work. Uh, we often go to the website of the Americans United for Separation of Church and State, and this is a very interesting article from their website, and Dale is going to talk, tell us about it. Over to you, Dale. Thank you, Jean. I've got an article from overseas now about school vouchers. Uh, school choice is a lie. Private school vouchers don't work. Americans United for Separation of Church and State, President and CEO Rachel Laser issued the following statement in response to National School Choice Week, which was January 21st to 27th this year. 
School Choice Week is a farce. We should spend this week celebrating public schools, the building blocks of our communities, not promoting private school voucher schemes. Vouchers only provide choice for a select few, primarily wealthy families whose children never attended public schools in the first place, and for the private, predominantly religious schools that can pick and choose which students to accept. Private school vouchers do not give a choice to the majority of families who can't afford private school tuition even with a voucher, or to the students whom private schools may decide to discriminate against on the basis of disability, religion, sex, gender identity and other characteristics. And far from enabling choice for taxpayers, private school vouchers force people to fund religion, often times in a faith that is not their own. Private school vouchers don't work. Vouchers don't work. They don't improve student achievement and they especially fail students with disabilities, low-income students and rural students. Vouchers divert resources away from public schools that welcome all and educate nearly 90% of our nation's children. We should be providing our public schools with the resources they need to enable all of our children to thrive. Public funds belong in public schools. Christian nationalists and their lawmaker allies across the country have been emboldened by recent Supreme Court decisions that undermined church-state separation. They are pushing private school voucher schemes like never before as part of their crusade against public education and to enlarge their own power. We need a national recommitment to the separation of church and state. Our public schools and our democracy depends on it. And that was from the National Coalition for Public Education in America. Americans United is a religious freedom advocacy organisation based in Washington, attempting to educate all Americans about the importance of church-state separation in safeguarding religious freedom. Back to you, Jean. Well, thank you very much, Dale. Yes, for those listeners who are just uh, haven't been with dogs for very long, We not only promote public education, we also promote the idea of separation of religion from the state. And um, the Americans United for separation of church and state have always been very strong on this. And they've had a lot of cases in the Supreme Court of America over the years uh, and uh, have won a lot too, but they're having some problems now. Um, So the dogs have always um, been strong on this issue, of course. It's the very basis of why we should have public education in the first place, which is open to all and offensive to none. But uh, it's the only way in the end that you can educate all of the children, not some of the children of a nation. We thought that we had learned this lesson in the 19th century, but unfortunately uh, we're going back into the 19th and 18th century socially at the moment in Australia and in a lot of the uh, countries where they uh, are boosting up the private school interest. But um, what goes around comes around and uh, the ideas matter. And here on 3CR, we are free to put the ideas across. Yes, so uh, we'll have a bit of a break. And uh, I'd like to remember our listeners again that this is Subscribers Month and we hope that you will um, listen to the following and consider putting money into 3CR because, as I've said before, 3CR might have run on radio waves, but we don't actually just run on air. Become a subscriber and support Radical Radio. Call 03-9419-8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. 
Become a 3CR subscriber today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03-9419-8377. Be a part of your community radio station. Well, we hope you're still listening to the DOGS program and we are now going to talk about children with disabilities. There's a lot of talk about disadvantaged children, but of course the children with disabilities in our society are the ones who are now struggling more than ever, uh, particularly in our public system through lack of proper funding. Even with the NDIS, uh, the funding is still not following these children into our schools. So Maddie is going to tell us about this. Over to you, Maddie. Thanks, Jean. This article is by Caitlin Cassidy. And she says that Andrew Whitehouse, who joins the National School Funding Board, calls for urgent reform amid new government negotiations. A leading autism researcher who has been appointed to join the National Board overseeing school funding arrangements says Australian children with disabilities are struggling now more than ever. And urgent reforms are needed. Professor Andrew Whitehouse the head of the autism research team at the Telethon Kids Institute and the University of Western Australia, says tackling the growing rates of students with additional needs will be on the agenda this year. It's beyond time to take a serious look at how we can support schools to support kids and their families to thrive, White House told Guardian Australia. At the policy level, we have invested considerable amounts of funding and research into the very early years, We are delivering children safer, more advanced and more ready to learn. The challenge is we're delivering them to an environment that may not be suited for them. His appointment by the Federal Education Minister, Jason Clare, comes as state and federal governments negotiate a new National School Reform Agreement, NSRA, with the sector in the spotlight over growing teacher shortages and underfunding. Professor John Firth, a former chief executive of the Victorian Curriculum and Assessment Authority and integral board member during the development of NAPPLAN, was also appointed to advise on disability funding. The number of students with a disability had been steadily rising over the past decade, with almost a quarter of students, 24.2%, receiving an educational adjustment last year, according to the Australian Curriculum Assessment and Reporting Authority data. It compares with 22.5% in 2022 and 18% in 2015. Of the 900,991,272 school students who received an adjustment in 2023, more than half was for cognitive disability, followed by a social-emotional disability. White House said Australia has become far better at identifying children with additional needs, but there were also more kids struggling now than ever. Early development among children with disabilities is plateauing, if not going backwards, he said. It should give us great pause for thought. White House joins the National School Resourcing Board weeks after a landmark review of the National Disability Insurance Scheme found schools and childcare systems would need to act as community centres, providing support services in order to rein in ballooning costs. With the federal government signalling the importance of the school environment in supporting the NDIS ecosystem, it's without question that the school policy setting and funding arrangements need to be addressed, along with the right training for teachers, he said. Children and young people with Disability Australia 
has been lobbying the federal government for additional funding to prevent exclusion and enrolment refusal of students with additional needs, as well as addressing learning gaps. Two in three Australians aged 20 and over have completed Year 12, but that drops to one in three among people with a disability. Claire said all Australians, including students with disability, should have access to good education and be safe and supported at school. The NDIS review in November preceded a major review into the current school reform agreement handed down late last year, which also made the case for schools to strengthen links between community and health services in order to make sure children who do not receive funding from the NDIS get support. The NSRA review warned there was an urgent need to embed inclusive education across the system, adding that different criteria to access fundings and supports risked children slipping through the cracks. It's also noted the public system was doing the heavy lifting, particularly amid shoulder tapping, the practice of moving students on from the private sector once they reach their high school certificate and pointed to a lack of transparency and accountability, warning that too many data gaps exist, most notably for students with disability. Whitehouse said that with the public system supporting the bulk of children with additional needs, improvements were needed to support greater numbers. At the same time, he said a large number of children pushed into special schools had the real potential to be educated in mainstream settings with adequate resourcing. The most important frontier we must conquer now is school, Whitehouse said. It's not just a human right enabler, it's an enabler to all other human rights and we are simply not there at the moment. For several generations, there has never been a more important moment than this. How can we design an education system that embraces children? We need to take the lessons from recent reviews and take action. Back to you, Jean. Well, thank you very much, Maddie. And uh, the time has come for us to go overseas with Jeff. And Jeff's got some very interesting material from uh, the United States, but also from the UK. So I'll pass you over to Jeff. Thanks, Jean. And we're going to start today, as we often do, with uh, going to the blog from Donna Ravitch, who's a, a fierce advocate for public education in the United States. And there's just I'm just going to summarise an article there that she wrote or she contributed on February 4th, 24, uh, called Los Angeles Charter Schools Barred from Nearly Half of LA's Public Schools. And it turns out, this is just me now, that there was uh, a system where charter schools were mandated to be allowed to be given classroom space in public schools in uh, California and in New York as well, uh, where they guaranteed free public space to charter schools. Um, which compels the host school to give up classrooms and other space that are not used 100% of the time. But um, there's been a backlash and Los Angeles has gone a different way. And the article goes, or actually is originally attributed in the Los Angeles Daily News, that charter schools will be banned from hundreds of Los Angeles Unified District School campuses under a new policy that is among the most restrictive of its kind. The new rules, presented at a school board meeting Tuesday, January 30th, prevent charters from being cited in campuses that have been identified as serving vulnerable students, accounting for roughly 350 of about 770 school buildings in the district. Charter schools would still be offered space to operate in other uh, Los Angeles district school buildings. Regulations prevent co-locations in low-performing schools, community schools, 
that provides social services and in schools in the district's Black Student Achievement Plan, immediately impacting about 21 charter schools now co-located in those buildings. Enrolling thousands of students who may need to move to new Los Angeles unified campuses in the fall. This is one of those situations that no matter what, we're going to have some people dissatisfied on either side, said Los Angeles School Superintendent Alberto Calvajo, who created the new regulations at the direction of the district school board, an effort led by board president Jackie Goldberg and board member Rocchio Rivas. Carvalho said the new regulations are within the bounds of a 2000 state law compelling California districts to provide classroom space for charter, that's public, that's private schools. Uh, there are currently 50 private schools co-located in 52 LA uh, public school campuses serving roughly 11,000 students. 13 additional charters have requested space for the upcoming school year. I believe that what has been presented may in many ways alleviate some of the issues, he added. However, we will need to be vigilant and honest about unintended consequences of well-intentioned policies. The new rules are a reversal for a city that historically has been friendly to charter schools and was immediately opposed by charter advocates who threatened legal action in a letter to the school board as soon as the new policy was announced. The long-simmering conflict over charter schools in Los Angeles reached a flashpoint in September when the board issued a resolution compelling Carvalho to create the policy and spelled out many of the specific components it should contain. What an interesting and awful concept to force public schools to uh, give space, uh, admittedly underutilised space, to private schools in their area. Um, Anyway, that is a... So far, a unique problem for the United States. Now, we're going to go to England. Well, we actually stay with the United States for one thing. We're going to revisit something that um, has been an issue for in America for a long time, since, especially since the MAGA world has come to dominate uh, more and more education, and the Teach for America program, which is a well-known program that places participants in an unders, underserved schools. Uh, this is this is participants without a teaching degree. Uh, they may have a, a bachelor. They need to have a bachelor degree in the United States, but not in public schools, but not in private schools. Um, but that does not have to be in education. And there's a lot of criticism from the American uh, unions about this, saying that you're placing inexperienced, untrained people, uh, albeit with or without other degrees into classroom situations that they can't handle and lowering the overall uh, performance of school and and also uh, diminishing the value of a full teacher's degree, which is what people really need in a school. Um, Well, that is my opinion. Uh, Anyway, but interestingly, the UK is following suit. So the Tories in in England... Uh, have just issued a a new um, press release uh, dated on the fourth of February, um, the uh, that which is a new teacher apprentice, teaching apprenticeship set to transform pathways to classroom. That's a press release from the Department of Education, and it says new teacher degree apprenticeships will support schools to recruit and retain excellent teachers they need in vital subjects, including maths. A new teaching apprenticeship 
will launch this autumn, revolutionising the way schools recruit teachers while supporting more people to earn while they study for a degree. The teacher degree apprenticeship will offer a high-quality alternative route for people to become qualified teachers, says the government press release. This includes people who may not be able to take time out to study full-time for a degree, such as teaching assistants or staff ready, already working in schools, to access this route to a rewarding profession. Trainees on the new teacher degree apprenticeship will spend around 40% of their time studying for their degree with an accredited teacher training provider, gain qualified teacher status and all tuition fees are paid for, so trainees won't be saddled with the student debt. Um, and I won't read the entire press release by Gillian Keegan, who's the uh, pre- the Education Secretary in the UK for the Tories. But I will go now to uh, well, and there are adverts in various other schools week program, uh, schools week, which is a a um, an online teaching. Uh, well, it's a commercial uh, um, magazine, online magazine designed for school teachers to read. Um, and they're gushing about it. But we're going to go to what the union has re- has responded to this announcement. So this is um, from the National Education Union press release dated the 5th of February 24. Uh, and it is the teaching apprenticeship program is an acknowledgement of the crisis in teacher recruitment but it is the wrong way to address it. Um, Commenting on a new teaching apprenticeship to be launched this autumn, Daniel Kabidi, General Secretary of the National Education Union, said, The teaching apprenticeship program is an acknowledgement of the crisis in teacher recruitment, but it's the wrong way to address it. The NEU wants to see more teachers in schools as an absolute priority, but it is essential that professional standards are maintained and that new entrants to the profession are fully qualified before they embark on their early career stage of their practice. The apprenticeship scheme puts those standards at risk, placing underqualified and inexperienced teachers into classrooms. It is not fair on pupils or apprentice teachers. Without much more detail, it is impossible to see how this scheme will work in practice, how already overstretched schools will manage the pressure on training and resources and timetables, and how the pay structure for apprenticeship, apprentice teachers will work in a way that will not cause confusion and potentially a sense of unfairness among established teaching staff. Apprenticeships give people a chance to build skills and careers and are a vital part of our education system, but this is not the way to go about meeting the challenges of recruitment into teaching. Teachers should be graduates. However, low pay, high workload and oppressive accountability measures mean that graduates are not willing to enter schools. And of those that do, many more than are currently being, uh, many more than are currently being replaced are leaving after a few years. The fanfare around this announcement is a noisy distraction, a willful refusal to see the problems that are obvious and to deliver the reforms that are needed to get the teachers we desperately need back into the profession. So that's the response of the National Education Union uh, regarding this. Um, Apparently, according to Schools Week, um, there has been an apprentice uh, procedure uh, available for the last few years, and they've had about 900 or so uh, people with degrees uh, 
doing an apprenticeship as they as they qualify as teachers. But this new teaching apprenticeship doesn't require that they have a degree, just that they are undertaking one whilst they're studying. So this is a new announcement, uh, and it sounds very much like something that the Americans had already tried or have already tried, and the unions don't seem to be too happy about it. Uh, putting underqualified people into classrooms doesn't sound like a recipe for success, but um, it is news, it is it is happening, and they are a Tory government, uh, and the Republicans and the Tories don't seem to fully appreciate the value of a full teaching, fully qualified teachers in classrooms. Uh, they seem to wish to... Um, mess with the system. Anyway, with that, Jean, I will pass back to you. Well, many thanks, Jeff. It's always very interesting to hear about what's going on overseas, uh, whether it's good, bad or indifferent. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State schools are great. Parkaway Primary School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words, it is actually... So so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses, refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a great Positive relationships with each other, with teachers and with the community. And they run a a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions, and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm a proud product of a government funded primary school education and of a government funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. Our education is not for profit! Our education is not for profit! You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. We come to the most, what we like the most about our our program, which is the Great State School. Over to Andy. 
Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. And this week's Great State School of the Week is Can River Peter 12. And here's the principal's welcome. Welcome to Can River Peter 12 College. We are located 450 kilometres east of Melbourne, in the forests of East Gippsland. Can River is a bustling cafe town on the Prince's Highway and is the gateway to Point Hicks, where Captain Cook first sighted mainland Australia. Our school delivers a highly focused curriculum from prep to year 12. We are able to deliver a wide range of VCE subjects due to our flexible approach in planning for each group of students. Our aim is to develop productive citizens with positive pathways to the world of work and society, and this we do more effectively each year. For most students, this will mean transition to life beyond the local area. Visitors note the sunny, welcoming nature of the school. The school has very high staff morale and support from the community. In 2017, a priority review found we had substantially achieved most of our goals, with the reviewer describing the school in his presentations as a fantastic school. This is in part because we are aware of the challenges for rural and remote students, and we see our role as essential in the lives of young people. We have a very strong professional learning culture, and we do this by targeting our needs and working consistently towards them. We have a whole school approach to the social and academic learning of each student, with every teacher knowing every student and progress carefully supported. We are highly responsive to different needs, abilities and interests of individual students. And we have some uh, facts and figures from ACARA. There's an enrolment of 41, so it's a very tiny school. The ICSIA value is below average at 955, which means uh, in the upper 25% of parental income, we have 2% of students. The second level of parental income is 16%. So the uh, third, 25%, so below 50%, is 36% of students, and the bottom 25% of parental incomes accounts for 46% of students. So it's a very small, rural, uh, and the only one available for its local children, uh, with 4% speaking a language other than English, and 7% Indigenous students. Finances, uh, recurrent grants from the government of $483 million only. We get $1.92 million from Victorian government, our fees and parental contributions are $950 million and other contributions are $32,000. So that comes to $51,877 per pupil with a capital of $2.23 million over three years. And the NAPLAN results, just fine. Well, thank you so much, Andy. I'm glad that we've done Can River because Can River is actually a very isolated place in many ways and it's very, very expensive to make sure that those 43 children out there at a P12, think about it, from the age of five up to the age of 18, 43 of them in that town get a first-class education. And it costs the taxpayer $60,815 a pupil, and it's money well spent, very well spent, because if we didn't spend that money, those children would not have that opportunity. And that is why we must have public schools and why we must make sure that every child, every child gets a good education in this country, even if it costs. But um, that's all we've got for today. Remember our subscriber month, please. 
so that we don't have to go just to air without well the air will stop won't it and we need we need money for our air and if you want to find out more about the dogs there is also always our website at www.adogs.info but uh, from Dale, our wonderful producer, and Andy, who's been doing some very good research for us, and Maddie, and Sorrel, and Jeff, and myself. It's bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe says I, him standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill went on to organize. Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill Where workers strike and organize It's there you find your hill It's there you find Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. I You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.